0: This is Generation Justice, a multiracial project that trains youth to harness the power of community through media, narrative, and critical consciousness. I'm Gianna Ramirez.
1: And I'm Emilio Bovale. We want to remind you that this program broadcasts from the rightful lands of the Tiwa people. Tonight, we'll hear from Elena Giachi, a Dene woman and an anti sexual and domestic violence training specialist, about her recent study, Intimate Partner in Sexual Violence, Reproductive Coercion and health among American Indian and Alaska Native women.
0: David Grubb, project manager and lead youth organizer at Together for Brothers, shares their recent bus pass victory, Zero Fares.
1: The first song of this program is I Get Out by Lauren Hill, a song about stopping violence against women.
2: i get out I'll get out of all your boxes
3: I'll get out you can't hold me in these chains, I'll get out. Father, free me from this bondage.
0: Elena Giacchi is a Dine woman and an anti-sexual and domestic violence training specialist. She is also an advocate for American Indian and Alaska Native people. She works extensively with many diverse communities and has over 30 years experience in the violence against Native women
1: field. This evening, she will talk about her recent study, Intimate Partner in Sexual Violence, Reproductive coercion, and Health Among American Indian and Alaska Native Women.
0: Now, GJ's Youth Coordinator, Rachel Riley, speaks with Elena
4: Giachi. This is Rachel Riley with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with Elena Giacci a Diné woman, and an anti-sexual and domestic violence training specialist and advocate for American Indian and Alaska Native people. Elena, welcome back to Generation Justice.
2: Oh, thank you for having me.
4: Please tell us more about
2: yourself. Well, let's see. I think there's a couple of important things. I have been with my partner for uh, coming up on 47 years Um, And you're probably going, oh, man, you look so young. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I have been also a advocate for sexual violence now almost 33 years. And I have been doing that work because I get to witness the courage of our young ones, our women and our uncles and grandpas and the Things that they have walked through in the journey that they take, and for me to be able to support him, support them has been a great honor. And I think those are probably the two most important things. The third one is I raise butterflies to kind of give me that balance that I need because of the work that I do can mm-hmm. pretty be pretty heavy on the heart. But I love what I do. Thank you so
4: much for sharing about. Um, your personal mission and why doing work around violence against Native women and addressing this important issue is is so personal and um, important work in your life. And it really shows with um, the 33 years you said you have as experience. Um, and it's not easy work either. So thank you for that. Thank you. I'd love to hear more about your recent published study entitled Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence, Reproductive Coercion and Health Among American Indian and Alaska Native Women.
2: I think a few things that are really important about this particular research is first, how we did it in what I consider a very honorable way. We met, we had relationships already with the communities that we uh, did our research in so that laid the groundwork and then we had communication and conversations with the advocates there to see if they felt that their community wanted to participate. Once we did that, then what we did is then we started opening it up to the community. So that we talked to political officials, we talked to um, all of the health clinics that re- were representative in that area. And we just, said, we're going to open this up. We're going to have some period of time where we actually went to the location and answered any questions and asked questions about what they felt uh, would be any kind of downfalls or anything like that and any concerns they might have. And so we did it in a really good way. It took a very long time to do it like that but I felt really good at the buy-in that we got from the community. So that was the first thing. The second thing was that the women that participated, they were so honest and every single one of them said, well, I'm not sure I wanted to do this because it's a hard subject. And yet once they sat down, they felt really good about the interview and part of it was that they let us know that a lot of times, in many instances, that they hadn't talked to hardly anybody about what had occurred to them. And they also didn't recognize some of the components around sexual violence and rape because they felt since they had a relationship with that person, that even though they might've been forced to have sex, they didn't consider it a sexual violent act. And so it was multiple levels. And then once the women were finished with the interview, they all said that they felt so much better about having that freedom to talk any way, any length of time. And I think that was the most critical thing of making sure that we serve the women that we were asking questions of.
4: Thank you for sharing more information about this study. Um, If you could tell us more about the model you designed for this study and why it is important.
2: Well, I think at the very foundation of what this research ended up being, was that as the women spoke to us, as the women revealed some of the more intimate components of their suffering, one of the things that kept on reoccurring was the racism, the lack of services, the lack of American Indian services, the lack of understanding about sex, sexuality, and sexual violence. It was um, looking at the systemic institutional uh, responses to the suffering of our Native women. It was looking at the coercive and involuntary um, ways that we were being um, treated. It was looking at the absence of prosecution. I mean, it was repeated over and over and over again in all of these stories almost all of them had the same commonalities the lack of being honored or respected at all not having prosecution not um understanding you know the situation at hand not taking them seriously consistently being told that they were liars all of those components um ended up allowing us to really take a look because in the past, a lot of research will take a look at all these different components, but then start taking, pulling out all of those pieces and looking at the, what we call the violence disruptor model that we created. It kind of shows this big piece and then there's this slice this very gentle slice, unfortunately, much smaller than everything else that's kind of pounding up against it. And so we have these kind of little lightning bolts that come down and in between that little tiny space is all of the things that the community that we researched, the women talked about the resiliency. I mean, these women oftentimes were raped multiple times, and yet instead of just giving up, what they did was they fought through, they journeyed through the pain, they made sure that their kids were safe, they tried to do the best that they could do under very difficult circumstances but when you look at the bottom line of historical trauma you look at the cultural trauma you look at the colonization those are the foundation because we can't talk about sexual violence and without talking about the multiples of traumas that have occurred to their you know mothers aunties grandmas And so we would hear, yeah, my grandma was raped about, you know, nine times. And my, you know, mother was raped four times. And it almost became so significant that it was reoccurring that I wouldn't say it became a norm, but it became something that when we talk about American Indian women and we talk about the statistics that are coming out. We can't sit there and say, well, I wonder if this will happen. It's a matter of sitting there saying, I wonder when it will. And I think this violence disruptor model, which is what we have, is this slice inside. In between those places are the elders where we learn of all of our cultural lessons. And that was something that came very clear to the women that we interviewed because they talked about some of their life-saving components were their traditions the elders getting help and getting that served being able to fall back on their culture and even when they were ignored being able to feel that those spirits you know were behind them and helping support them and doing those things and so it was so incredible as far as the part that was in there and the component that made their, their culture respectable because in their smaller community, those are the kinds of things. And the policy changes that some of these communities around the nation are working on to make sure that we don't have more missing Indigenous women and to make sure that we are able to be um, able to support each other and that women aren't quit being so critical of other women and be able to support each other in a much better way. And that's that slice. That's what disrupts the violence and all of these other components that surround it that consistently, if you're a, a native woman, you're consistently getting hammered and all of those, as well as our native man, our native community faces oppression and racism on a daily basis, and it talks about when we look at, you know, uh, police-involved shootings, we're at the top of that list as well. And so all of those components that end up coming in at such a rapid rate and, you know, our health, our, um, our land, our water, All of those things are all combining into making our journey somewhat difficult. And then when our Native women start disappearing and nobody blinks an eye or we say 70 percent or 80 percent of our Native women are suffering sexual violence and we just nod, We need to sit there and take a look at why we're not getting this attention that we so desperately need and the money that we desperately need to provide adequate American Indian services and culturally relevant services. And that's what this disruptor model does. It looks at the primary components that, you know, this doesn't happen by accident. And when we look at racism and oppression, we have a really good answer to why these things continue to happen.
4: Thank you for giving that image of the disruptor, violence disruptor model um, that is a part of this study. With regards to this study, uh, how long was it conducted? And are there any other important people that you would like to acknowledge that um, contributed also?
2: Absolutely. Dr. Um, Key Straits and Dr. Elizabeth Miller were the driving factors also behind this study. And what Dr. Straits did for this was that I am not a researcher. Um, I'm a advocate, you know, born and bred advocate. And so research sometimes is a little funky for me and um, it also ends up being kind of an interesting component and to have Dr. Strait's um, expertise in being able to ask all of the right questions um, and help putting this um, project together and and the writings and I would say to her, well, what about da 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 da? And she'd go, Oh yeah! And the next minute, I'd get a paragraph that was perfect. And so, I was really grateful for for that. I think when we take a look at reproductive coercion, it's such a um, hot topic, and yet a lot of people don't know about it. When we look at reproductive coercion. We look at things like uh, a partner messing with your uh, contraception. Um, we look at, unfortunately, a lot of partners, when they want you to be pregnant, might pull out your IUD, um, which is incredibly painful if it's you know removed in that way. We look at people who want to have children and yet um, the person is preventing you from having children or you don't wanna have children and they poke um, holes in the condom for instance. So that's another reproductive component that is coercive and damaging. And so when we look at all of those pieces of Maybe you don't want to be pregnant and they want to get you pregnant. Maybe you finally get pregnant and then they want you to get rid of um, the pregnancy. Maybe um, you ask them to use a condom and they choose not to use a condom. Um, And they or they say they're going to and then they don't. And so all of those components are part of that reproductive, what we call reproductive coercion, because it's not allowing you to make your own choices of about your body about your reproductive system whether or not you want to have children or not have children um, how you go about you know negotiating condom use Um, because so many people we heard from felt either embarrassed in negotiating condom use or never felt that they could negotiate uh, condom use or when they were told that they wanted that person to wear a condom and then they didn't, they didn't know what to do. And then not understanding that that's a violent act too. If you are sitting there negotiating your reproductive system and saying, you need to wear a condom and they say yes. And then they don't. And so all of those components come up to this reproductive coercion. And unfortunately, we would see, see conflict over, excuse me, over pregnancy outcomes, like 43%, you know, 43% of the time there was conflict over pregnancy outcomes. There was, um, hitting and choking during this process of having sex. There was this unintended pregnancy. There was intimate partner violence during the process of having, um, trying to negotiate, um, healthy sexual outcomes Um, there was um, all the fear of asking a partner to even having that discussion around sex and feeling that they didn't have a voice as far as that was concerned so understanding reproductive coercion also ends up being a freeing component that you should be able to have balance and equality when talking about sexuality. When you talk about having sex, all of those things should be honorable, equitable and balanced when you're in a healthy relationship. And a lot of women because of the oppression that we have suffered and the oppression that our grandmas and aunties and mothers have suffered, This is a component that is also often missing because our grandmas and aunties and mothers weren't taught that either. Yeah.
4: With this study focusing on intimate partner and sexual violence on Native women and the reproductive coercion, um, how can this create changes for Native women moving forward?
2: I think, hopefully, that when we start having that discussion, that the way that we have the discussion is couched in the understanding of oppression, the historical trauma, and the current trauma that we are living through and journeying through right now. And that we can't just talk about reproductive coercion or rape or sexual violence for any of our community, both our males and females. We can't talk about that. Unless we start talking about the historical consequences of what that, the trauma, and how that remains in our lifetimes. Just even having adequate uh, services when we look at the colonization that occurred and then we were set into these little tiny, you know, bits of land that they were, you know, so graciously giving us instead of taking and stealing our land and the what they did and the trauma that was left with that and then all of the things that we've suffered and then the lack of prosecution and the lack of investigation and all of those components when they happen once you go okay this is a problem when you happen three or four times you go well we need to do something about it but when we start talking about a systemic amount of people sitting there completely ignoring our community, our women, our men, our young men, our young boys, and our young females, and ignoring that, we have to start addressing these issues in the component of racism, colonization, and trauma.
4: Thank you for sharing that. Uh, What resources are available for those experiencing domestic, sexual, and intimate partner violence?
2: Well, I would say there's a couple of things that they can do. They can um, There's a number of national organizations that can give you resources. In the state of New Mexico, you have the Coalition to Stop Violence Against Native Women that can give you resources. Unfortunately, when we look at direct services for our community, there are very few direct services. You know, we have Table Women United who do such an excellent job and they do so many good things for their community and have always been in the forefront of doing really good work about um, intimate partner and sexual violence Um, it makes a big difference but you can call you know your state um, services even your non-native state services and ask them where they could go to seek um, native services and you know get Get those. We're looking at you know some of the national organizations that do that work. Um, Regardless of native or non-native, one of the things that have improved is non-natives can now give good resources for native services. Unfortunately, we have very few direct native services, but we keep uh, that are run by native community. Um, and that's a big difference too. So one of the components is, you know, look a little bit and try to find that. Um, you can certainly, um, give my, um, email address. I'm happy that if someone has a question or a concern, uh, feel free to, it's, um, W I S as in Sam, K as in kid, A as and Adam, underscore at msn.com. You have a question go ahead and, and email me. I'm That's what an advocate does. And um, I definitely, if you have a question, feel free to, to ask that question.
4: Thank you for making yourself as an additional available resource. Absolutely. Um, also, um, that is very much appreciated. How can the community read or access this study intimate partner and sexual violence, reproductive coercion, and health among American Indian and Alaska Native women?
2: Well, the good news is, is that between Dr. Miller, Dr. Straits, and myself, we were able to negotiate with the Journal of Women's Health, free access for a couple of months. Now, we're almost on the tail end of that. But um, again, we can give you that or you can look up the with that title, the Journal of Women's Health. Um, but if you want to make that little piece, you know, that I had sent to you, um, as part of what you also have, feel free because, um, we get free access after a couple of months, then you have to join the Journal of Women's Health and they're great, but it's not, inexpensive. So that's why we negotiated that. So feel free to utilize that study. And again, if you miss something, then use that um, email and I can send you um, the connection and the hyperlink. I'm learning all these new words. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I
4: think, um, yeah, sometimes the um, web pages to access research um, is not always the the cheapest. (laughs) No, it's
2: not. I I can't believe how expensive uh, this is because it was like, you mean my people have to pay for this? And they're like, yeah. And it's like, "Um, no, we got, you know, hold on before we say yes to this. And they were very gracious um, with the idea of the theme of what the research was about and understanding the trauma and the colonization and how we get isolated. They were very kind in that way of allowing us access and not charging us a crud load of money. Um, because I agree when I put in, oh, that's a great article. And then it's like, would you like to join for $5 million? And it's like, <laughs> uh, they went, no. But I want the research. So then you do the one paragraph summary, you know. Um, so that's why I was really um, so happy that the Journal of Women's Health, you know, kind of put their money where their mouth was and uh, let us have this free access prior to it being released because this uh, will be released at the beginning of January. Oh, well, we definitely
4: want to share as much as we can and, and assist in. Um, spreading the word about this important study. Before we go, um, is there anything else you would like to
2: add? I just want to let anyone know that if they're making the journey through a sexual violent act or a rape, male or female, little one, little girl, little boy, and you're not sure then try to tell a trusted friend, try to tell someone. Um, And if they don't listen, find someone else because there are people out there who will listen. And we want you to know it's not your fault. You're not alone because when you get raped, the first thing you feel is very isolated, very alone and very judged. And I just want you to remember of all things, this is not your fault, nothing you did. And the fact that you're still here walking on this mother earth says also how courageous you are. And never forget that, hold that in your heart because someone will be there to help support you.
4: Thank you, Elena Giachi, for that beautiful and heartfelt message. Um, I also um, would like to share that same message with our audience that um, there are people out there that love you and care for you um, and that will do anything to protect you. Um, so I really want to thank you, Elena, for um, bringing this issue um, and allowing us to, to share the, the long work, the many years of work that you've been doing uh, for the sake of our native women and our indigenous communities across the country. Tala'e.
2: Yeah, be that.
4: For Generation Justice, I'm Rachel Riley.
1: Thank you, Elena, for this research and the work that you do. It's important for people to know that there's help and people doing something about this issue. It's a very deep-rooted issue and it's caused so much trauma. And it's important for someone to address it head on.
0: Thank you, Elena, for your commitment and dedication to this field of service. The work you are doing is amazing, and it is helping so many Indigenous women, as well as other communities who have gone unhelped for too long. Your passion for helping Indigenous communities is so inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing your work with us.
1: Coming up next is the song, Indians Never Die, by Black Belt Eagle Scout. Wasting, wasting Wasting, 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 away.
0: Together for Brothers, or T4B, is a community organization led by young men of color, community and love, with partners and allies across New Mexico to build power, demand justice, and create change.
1: In May 2021, the Albuquerque City Council approved $3 million for free transit or zero fares. While the city previously approved free fares for limited populations, this vote made zero fares available for everyone in the city of Albuquerque, eliminating barriers to transit access for all.
0: This evening, David Grubbs, project manager and lead youth organizer for Together for Brothers, speaks with us about zero fares and introduces us to the 2022 activities that are
3: currently being planned.
1: Now, Madhumita Santanam speaks with David Grubbs.
3: This is Madhumita Santanam with Generation Justice, and I'm speaking with David Grubb, project manager and lead youth organizer at Together for Brothers. David, welcome to Generation Justice.
5: Thank you for having me.
3: Please tell us more about yourself.
5: My name is David Grubbs. I'm 19 years old. I go to technology leadership high school and I'm a project manager with Together for Brothers. I've been working with Together for Brothers for I say a, a little over than a year, uh, a little a little over a year. I worked on projects with them like transit transit equity, um, zero fares, so that sort of thing. Uh, before working with Together for Brothers, I, I spent some time with Future Focus Education, a really great program for youth who who are looking to expand like what find out what careers they're interested in um it's really great program i I learned about through my high school that i go to right now Um, and the reason i'm 19 and still in high school got held back a few times i was making some bad choices but i'm currently not making those choices and instead i'm making good choices and you know trying to trying to work in my community
3: thank you so much for sharing that i'd love to hear more about together for brothers and its mission
5: Well, uh, Together for Brothers' mission is to help young men of color um, be the leaders that they can and should be in their communities. We believe that all young men of color have the ability, and I personally believe all all young men of color have the ability, or at least, uh, you know, should be uh, leaders in their communities. It's just some of us haven't really found where to be a leader in our community, haven't really found the, the resources to help us make change in our community for the better.
3: Thank you for sharing that. And to go off of that, what actually led you to become a part of Together for Brothers?
5: That's a good question. So, um, when I when I started at Together uh, at Technology Leadership High School, where I go right now, um, I had just like I had just dropped out of high school, and then I like decided to go back to high school because of my sister who uh, was also kind of going down the same road that I was going. So, we decided to work hard. And, and try to graduate. And while I was there, they gave me an opportunity to work with Future Focus and um, Future Focus Education, connected me with Together for Brothers through one of our internships, they placed me at Together for Brothers. And I just really like the work. I really like what they do. I really liked, uh, you know, like making a change in my community. Um, it, it's It gets addicting kind of, just like being able to see that the people in your community are like be, having more of what they need and you being able to help them out getting what they need and making sure that everything's equitable, it gets addicting.
3: Absolutely. And you're totally right about involving youth and um, really getting getting involved in the community. So thank you for sharing that. Can you tell us about Together for Brothers exciting bus pass victory you had last year?
5: Right, so uh, last year we worked on Zero fares, and uh, it was really just getting a whole bunch of stories from young men of color and kind of presenting that to the community. And uh, and we worked with city councilors and all kinds of stuff to try to make so that people can get on the buses for free. And uh, I'm very happy that Zero Fares has uh, started on the second. So the people in our community are now able to ride the bus for free. Um, it didn't start on the first just because buses aren't working on the first. I'm happy, you know. Um, it, it really helps people out, especially me. When, when I started working with Together for Brothers, I did not have a car, I currently do, but I did not. And I was taking the bus to get to school every day, grocery shopping, um, to get to like internship sites, um, to get to other work sites, picking up my sister from school, all that, picking up my mom from work, all that on the bus. And it can get pretty pricey. And I'm not, I'm not the richest person that there is, so, you know, if I couldn't even afford to get a car at the time you can understand that it was it was getting pretty pricey for me um so I was like well what can I do what can I do I'm sure there's other people in this situation and when I found out that Together for Brothers was working on this it was like oh yeah I'm definitely gonna go work with them and try to try to change that because if I'm dealing with this obviously other people are dealing with it you know it's, it's usually not just one person struggling alone
3: absolutely yeah and I know you spoke a little bit about the Albuquerque City Council. What would your message be to the Albuquerque City Council?
5: Thank you for passing uh, Zero Fares. You know, it's it's real I really want them to know that it's really helping the people in their in their communities that they represent, um, being able to get where they need to go without having to pay for a bus. Um, five days on a bus, that's two loaves of bread, pretty much. Um, so it's like. It's, it's saving people money. People are being able to put that little bit of money that might not seem like much. They're putting that in their kids' mouths, and I'm I'm really thankful.
3: Absolutely, that's a great message. Um, tell us about 2022 and what you're planning for this new year. In
5: 2022, we are going to be having six online cohorts. Um, so that's for brothers who do not want to go out and meet with people in person. And then we're going to have two uh, COVID safe outdoor cohorts that we're going to be hosting for, um, you know, because we believe that outdoor recreation is really important for mental health and also physical health at the same time. So that's, that's something we're planning. So in total, eight cohorts um, and it's for young men of color, 12 to 24. So any young man of color between the ages of 12 to 24 that lives in, uh, in international district, or Westgate district, or even in between, Um, it doesn't really matter as you know, as long as you're interested in it, come join us um, Let's see and I I have, I have a list of like the cohorts we're going to have. So civic engagement, civic engagement and transit equity, that's going to be five weeks. So that's one of the ones that we're going to have. We're going to have a leadership one that's uh, multicultural and multilingual. So we're going to have Spanish, Dari, uh, I believe Dari, um, and uh, like a few other languages that uh, we'd love to have brothers who speak other languages come and join us. Uh, we're gonna have an outdoor recreation cohort. That's like hiking, biking, um, really all of those. We like to go and experience our, our, the land that, you know the land that we live on, but not with concrete and pollution and all that. Like we, we wanna really experience the real land. Uh, We're going to have a biking cohort that's just biking, because, um, you know, that's really helping the environment, biking, instead of, like, taking a car or something like that. It's really helping the environment. Uh, We're going to have a community justice cohort, and that's for young men of color who, like, have experienced some sort of injustice in their communities. Um, And that that could just mean anything from getting suspended from school to um, having to deal with, like, the foster system to having to deal with um, the legal system in some way anybody like that we'd love to have them come join us and because we're trying to make some change with that we're trying to make some changes in the system. So uh, we also have a food cohort that we have planned um, and that's with three sisters kitchen. And shout out to three sisters kitchen, they are a great uh, resource in our Community, so please check them out, but yeah um, they, we, we really want to work on decolonizing our diets. And making sure that our diets are, you know, uh, are, are clean. So we want to make sure that we we aren't just buying stuff from grocery stores, but from local farmers and supporting our local farmers from the land that we live on, Tiba land. Uh, we want to make sure that that we're eating healthy as well. And then we're gonna have two spring break cohorts, and that's just for um, like we have one for um, APS and like that's the time that they have spring break and then like for charter schools and uh, and UNM and all of that because they kind of have spring break at different times so we want a cohort that is equitable for each time each time that they have um spring break
3: that sounds very very exciting so I'm looking forward to it um where can people find more information about zero fairs and together for brothers
5: togetherforbrothers.org uh, if you search that site that's our that's our main site um, not only you can you can apply I believe for um, for like the season or a certain cohort that you're interested in um, that also has all the information it has amazing stories from our brothers from different things that they've experienced um, and I believe it also even has like some uh, some recipes that some of our brothers are sharing from their cultures so check out togetherforbrothers.org
3: what is the most important message you want to get out today?
5: Um, I, I would just say the most important message for me is that uh, young men of color are and should be leaders in our communities and, um, you know, find an organization near you, find an organization that you can work with that, that works on building leaders and join them. Um, also young, young women of color, find an organization near you, join them, be leaders in your community. I believe all young people, have the potential to be leaders in their communities. They just need to make that step. They need, they need to find something that they can that they can work on to make a change. And um, you know, we all have we all have challenges. So work on them. Work on those challenges and try to overcome them.
3: Is there anything else that you would like to add?
5: Uh, I would just like to add that Together for Brothers is a great organization for. Any young men of color, self-identified young men of color, by the way, I don't, you know, you know um, we, we include all self-identified <laughs> young men of color, please, please come join us. Um, I feel like it's a great way for you to be leaders in your community, for you to help me be a better leader in my community, please come join us.
3: Thank you, David, um, for speaking with me today and talking about your work at Together for Brothers and about the Zero Affairs Initiative. And I'm also very excited about some of the events that you talked about in 2022. They all seem very exciting. So thank you again.
5: Awesome, thank you so much for having me and hearing what I have to say.
3: Absolutely. For Generation Justice, I'm Madhumita Santanam. Thank you so much,
0: David, and Together for Brothers for your dedication to helping our community. Your story is powerful and the work you are doing is a reflection of your amazing character. The bus being free will help so many people, and it is a huge victory. Again, thank you for all of your hard work and making changes for the better.
1: Thank you, David, for your resilience and your hard work in our community. Not everyone has the financial means for transportation, and you and Together for Brothers have helped those people by making the buses free. Thank you for being an example to many people.
0: Our next song was chosen by our guest, David Grubbs. Here is Pride is the Devil by J. Cole.
2: Pride is a devil And left so many R.I.P Pride is a devil Think it gotta hold on me Pride is a devil
0: enjoyed this hour of community action. We'd like to thank our guests, Elena Giachi and David Grubbs.
1: Tonight's hour of radio was produced by Roberto Rayal with production assistance from Barbara Ramirez and additional support from Angel Baker Guillen. Thank you for our interviewers, Rachel Riley and Madhumita Santanam.
0: We want to give a big shout out to all of our youth producers. We cannot do what we do without you. Generation Justice would also like to thank KUNF for bringing the voices of young people to you, KUNM listeners.
1: Our website is generationjustice.org where you can check out all of our multimedia work and listen to our podcasts, which are also available on SoundCloud, Apple and Google podcasts.
0: We are also active on social media. Find us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and follow our playlists on Spotify.
1: Generation Justice is funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation with additional funding from the Annie E. Casey Foundation. And of course, all of you who have contributed to our project by visiting our website and clicking donate.
0: Our opening song is Youth of the Nation by POD. I'm Gianna Ramirez.
1: And I'm Emilio Bovale. Coming up on KUNM is spoken word. So stay tuned and join us next Sunday at seven o'clock.
0: Good night, New Mexico.